Long ago, God gave his people a leader after his own heart. They wanted a mighty warrior. God gave them a shepherd, but this shepherd would fell a giant. Fighting fear itself, he was rewarded with the crown and comfort and brought prosperity to the land. He became complacent, impulsive. He would be consumed by anger, risking everything he had built. Hello, Seacoast. How y'all doing? I'm Chip Judd, one of the pastors here. I, um, my job is, I'm also a marriage and family counselor, so that helps me say what my job is. My job is to kind of pastor the pastors and uh, try to help them stay healthy in their marriages, stay healthy. And here's the deal. Please don't hold their health against me. You know what I'm saying? I know we got some messed up staff members, but I promise you I'm doing the best I can. Don't, don't say anything about it because, you know, they'll start wondering what they're paying me for. So, uh, so don't do that, all right? How many of you enjoying this Goliath Must Fall series? Raise your hand, say yes, or do something. Uh, Pastor Josh talked about anger that first week. <clears throat> Pastor Greg talked about anxiety and fear. And I've heard several of, several of you say how much it's helped you and uh, how much it's kind of got your wheels turning and things like that. And uh, by the way, all the subjects we're doing in this series came from the crosses. About, I don't know, a month or so ago, one of the services during response time, we asked you to put on the cross subjects, issues, areas of life that you struggle in and that we were going to include them in the series. So uh, my subject for today will also be coming from that cross, uh, the things that were pinned on there. And I'll tell you what it is here in just a minute. But we've been, uh, we've been kind of digging into the David and Goliath story the part of it that we're into is in 1 Samuel 17, and we'll have some scriptures up here in just a minute. But I wanted to just kind of give you a few thoughts. Remember, I'm a counselor, so I kind of approach things in a certain way and think a certain way. And I came up with this, or I came up with, I felt like God came up with, this way that I think uh, several years ago that I use in counseling occasionally. And um, I use it to encourage people, quite honestly. Because how many, how many have at least one thing you're still dealing with that you've been dealing with for a long time. How many of you have another one? <laughs> How many want to tell me what your spouse's is? <laughs> um, so in counseling sometimes, we'll be working with a subject, you know, an issue, and I'll say to them, this is what I'll say to them, what if that's your Goliath issue? And you remember who Goliath was, right? Goliath was this monster freak that was way bigger than everybody else, I mean, if he were in the room now, everybody could point to him because he'd be way above everybody else. On the battlefield, the army would be in its, you know, its lines and formation, and he'd be sticking out, impossible to not see him. And what was happening is he was going down. The, on the one side was the children of Israel, on the other side were the Philistines, and he would go down into the valley for 40 days, and every day he would taunt them. And it's very interesting what he would say. I forgot to tell you what his name means. His name means to strip you, shame you, and enslave you. That's one of your blanks if you're going to be mad at me if I don't fill in your blanks. <clears throat> but he would go down into the valley, <clears throat> and here's what had happened. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? In other words, you guys are supposed to be so big and bad. Why are you afraid of me? 
And then he comes up with a plan. Here he is, walks down the valley. He's this monstrously big guy and very well known for ferocity in battle. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Now, in the early first week of this uh, series, Pastor Josh did a great job helping us see that when we, we look for our giant to go down in the valley to fight their giant, it's not you and me. Our, our champion is Jesus. And Jesus will fight your giant for you. And here's the deal. He really will do that, but you're going to have to help just a little bit. We'll talk about that today. So Goliath says, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we, all the Philistines, will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Now here's what I mean by the Goliath factor. I felt like the Lord showed me years ago that every one of us, me, you, and everybody in this room, has a Goliath issue, has an issue that's head and shoulders bigger than any other issue, and it probably affects every other issue you deal with. Gettysburg, most of us would agree, is the, was the turning point of the Civil War. Now, some people would disagree and put a few other things in there. But here's the deal. A turning point, a tipping point, doesn't, how do you know, there's a lot of fighting after Gettysburg. But what, what the point is, is when you hit that tipping point, that turning point, it's kind of the deal settled, and everything's different after that. And Colleen and I, in our lives, and in many people's lives that I've worked with, have, have kind of identified their giant and went after their giant. And here's my word to you this morning. If you can name your Goliath, if you can name your giant, and then with the help of your champion, Jesus, slice its head off, you can enjoy a turning point in your war with anything that's keeping you from what God has for you. So here's what I want you to do. This is in your notes. I want you, while we're talking today, to name your giant. And there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you. You might be sitting there right now and you, you say, My, well, I know mine, mine's anger. I know mine, mine's worry. I know mine, mine's food. I know mine, mine's whatever. But I want you to name your giant as, as we go through the service today. And it'll be helpful when you do. Let me just tell you, Colleen's and mine, when I was putting this message together, I uh, talked to Colleen and, and I said, Colleen, I know you have so many things wrong with you, but if you could remember one... <clears throat> If you could remember one that was the, like the Goliath giant issue in your life. I mean, there were so many, I couldn't figure it. No, I'm kidding. Um, but what was interesting is without any hesitation, didn't even hesitate, she said, I know exactly what mine is. And she said it was coulda, woulda, shoulda, always second guessing myself. No matter what I do, it's not good enough. And what that was was this mentality kind of bred into her of performance, perfectionism. I mean, I can remember us going round and round over issues like she, she would plan so much in a day to get done that it was impossible, so she never went to sleep at night feeling content and satisfied. In a sense, she was kind of cursing herself. Well, by the grace of God, I don't know, 20-ish years ago, we've made lots of progress with both of our giants. And um, every once in a while, I'll ask for the old Colleen back because she just had advantages. You know, you could work her to death. <laughs> <laughs> so my Goliath, as we move forward, my Goliath was, I would call it father issues. 
I, I idolized my father, and um, he wasn't very good at expressing affection, saying I love you. He would say things like, you're lazy, you'll never amount to anything. And so what I came away with is a sense of insecurity, a sense of inferiority, a belief that I just didn't really deserve to succeed. And um, um, how many of you know when you hit a barrier, an obstacle, if you hit opposition when you're moving towards something you want, you're going to probably fall into one of two categories. You're either going to try harder or you're going to give up. Try harder, give up. So I, because of some of the stuff that was in me, when I'd hit an obstacle that was threatening a direction I was trying to move in, I'm a child of the 70s. Drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And I said, you know what, let's see. I could fight through this wall, climb this wall, dig around this wall, or I could go party. You know, I think I'll go party. Because fundamentally, I just didn't have the confidence that I'd get over the wall in the first place. Why would I fight it if I really didn't think I was gonna get there? So that's kind of a look at our particular giants. Here's what I wanna ask you. Where in your life are you stuck? in a cycle of substance, a person or practice that doesn't work. Let me explain what I mean by doesn't work. You're trying to meet a particular need. You do a certain routine or ritual. Doesn't really meet the need. Or it meets that need but causes worse problems around it. In other words, whatever this cycle is, it's just not working. You want to stop, but you can't. In your notes, if you're taking notes, put the word yet. You can't stop yet. What I'm saying to you is there's lots of us that are in this room wrestling with stuff that we've been trying to stop for a long time and it's just not working all that well. Now, this is a great definition of my subject for the day. People, areas of our life where we're stuck in cycles, substances, people and practices don't work, wanna stop, but can't. Anybody know a word for that? Real quick, begins with an A. Addiction. My topic for the day is addictions. That's a great definition of an addiction. Cycles, substances, people, and practices that we're attempting to use a certain way to meet a certain need, and it doesn't work, and eventually we get to the place where we can't stop the cycle, and we're just in a world of hurt. Let me show you. What we're gonna talk about is the giant of everyday addictions. Are there big, monstrous, life-destroying addictions? There surely are. We just don't, I just had to make a choice and I felt like I couldn't address that adequately in a morning sermon like this. So we're gonna talk about everyday addiction. I believe, I don't have any problem saying every one of us in the room deals with some. Here's scripture, really cool scripture, Romans 7. Excuse me for my voice, I got a little frog in there. And tell me if you identify with this. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Now, this is in the Bible. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. How many of you'd say you kind of can relate to that? Yes or no? Say yes. All right? So here's the deal. There's a secret here. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong, I love God's law with all my heart. Now, here's what that means. I see where God wants me to go. I want to go where God wants me to go. I get it. Don't do this. Do this. Do more of this. Do less of this. I, in my heart of hearts, 
I want to do that. This is scripture now. Watch what it says. But, say but. <clears throat> There's another power. Say another power. Where? Within me. Within me. Whoa, whoa, time out, dude. I want to do what's right. But there's another power within me that is at war, what? With my mind. Romans 12, 2, be transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind. There's a battle going on in my mind. I want to do what God wants me to do, but there's another power. Say another power. What in the world is this other power Within me, that's at work with my mind. That's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave. It makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. In other words, guys, gals, we've got something we got to deal with. So here's what I want to say to you today. Guess what? We're all addicts, man. Now, I don't mean alcohol, drugs, all the typical way you think, but I do mean by the definition. We're all people that are enslaved to everyday addictions, cycles, substances, people, practices. They don't work. We want to stop, but we can't. Now, please notice the last two words. It isn't that we won't. It's that we can't. One of the things that will stop you dead in your tracks toward freedom and victory and stop someone else dead in their tracks toward freedom and victory is if you believe it's a can't, not a won't. In other words, you're just not really trying hard enough. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. So what could some of these be? Really important thought. Virtually anything can become a compulsion and qualifies an everyday addiction. Water can be an addiction. Let me read some. And remember, throughout the message, I want you to be finding your uh, uh, Goliath. Let me just read you a, bu a bunch of them. Drugs, alcohol, gambling, Food, caffeine, sugar, sex, pornography, work, perfectionism, codependency, approval, worry, spending, Colleen, did you hear that? Shopping, <laughs> coupon clipping, television, video, video gaming, exercise, sports, love, romance, romance novels, money, accumulation, success, religion, email, internet, chat rooms, cell phones, power, and anger. What did I miss? Yell out one or two real quick. Frustration. <clears throat> Pardon me? Work was on there. The one that's not on there, <clears throat> somebody yelled out uh, in another service, and I couldn't believe it wasn't on there. Nicotine. <clears throat> All right, here, <clears throat> excuse me one second. Can you turn that down for a sec while I cough? <clears throat> excuse me, trying to clear it. All right, here's the thing. It's not a character flaw or simply a lack of willpower. Now, if you believe that, you're gonna be able to get God's help and others' help without feeling ashamed. If you don't believe that, you're gonna hide you're going to wear masks, you're not going to be real, and you're probably not going to get the help you need. Addictions are not a character flaw, and they're not an absence of willpower. I believe that with all my heart. 
I really, really do. Addictions, listen to this. Addictions are based on repetitive behavior, inherited or learned, then stored in deep regions of the brain. This process is essential to our survival. What in the world does that mean? Why can I wave my hand and talk to you at the same time? Why can I do that? Is, am I thinking about moving my hand? Am I thinking about it? Are you moving my hand? So I'm thinking about it, but am I thinking about it the way we normally mean thinking about it? I'm thinking about it, but in a different part of my brain. And it's the part of my brain, about three layers down, that stores repetitive behavior and the programs for them. So uh, anything you do often enough, particularly by the cycle we're gonna look at today, what it does is it produces a little program. And it's when this happens, this happens, this happens, and you get a reward, you know, this whole little cycle. We'll talk about that in a second. But here's the deal. The more you do it, the more you do it, the more you do it, the lower it goes in your brain until finally it goes into this this part of your brain that stores repetitive behavior, threat, threat detection center, fight survival, pleasure, all this stuff stored down there. So here's the deal. When these addictive things get triggered, they happen in such a way that we weren't consciously, listen to me now, we weren't consciously making a choice. Now we kind of were making a choice, but not the same way we think of making a choice. And that'll make more sense. I mean, here's the, the best way I can tell you to understand this. If you had to rethink, relearn how to handle every situation as if you were encountering, encountering it for the first time, you wouldn't live a year. God designed you where when you learn to handle something, it goes down into that place in your brain, and the next time you see that particular challenge, you just do it. Walking, all kinds of things. Well, this applies to everything we do. And, it, and it's a blessing that keeps us alive. All right, why this range of vulnerability, intensity, and destructiveness? Why, gosh, man, why are some of us so vulnerable to addictive behavior? Why do some of us have you know, almost laughable variations? And then why are most of us caught in some areas we have great discipline and willpower, and other areas we're just a wreck. We're just a wreck. Why is that so? Now that's a genogram. I don't expect you to really read it, but what I want you to, all I want you to get out is this. Why is there such a range? Because we inherited and learned different stuff. If look, if you can, if you can see it, this is chronic depression. This is alcoholism. This is alcoholism. This is chronic depression. Here's the deal. These people may never drink a drink of liquor down here, these folks. They may never suffer with a bit of depression. But I promise you, statistically, they're gonna have a tendency toward it way beyond what you probably do. And then 20 years later, they've made some bad choices and you're gonna say they lack willpower, commitment, and they have poor character, when in reality, they inherited a different set of vulnerabilities than you did. Say yes if you're still here. There's reasons we do the stuff that we do. Don't 
whatever. I'll get there in a second. All right, let's understand the cycle. Y'all wanna understand the cycle? How many have at least one area you're hoping to get an answer for today? All right. Understanding the cycle. Another cool scripture. Remember the one we read a little bit ago. There's another power, say another power, within me. All right, that's good. That's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave. Whoa, what is this, man? All right, here's another scripture in Romans 6. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You become. Is become an event or a process? You become a slave of whatever you choose to obey. Let's just say for the moment you have no no genetic predisposition to alcohol. In other words, you don't have alcoholism in your family, but you do like to party. So I say yes to alcohol, and I say yes to alcohol, and I say, I'll just use myself, marijuana. So I get high. Wow, that was kind of cool. I get high again, I get high again, I get high again. Three years, been doing it. The next two years, I get high and <clears throat> say, you know, dude, I think, I think maybe, maybe, maybe you got a little bit of a problem here. Well, I, I, just, I, just, I just won't smoke every day. The next two years, I never went to bed a single night that I wasn't high on something. Because what I realized was that saying yes for those years had created a cycle in me that my day didn't feel normal if I didn't have a buzz. I made it some days till getting in the bed. I'm not kidding. And I'd get up out of the bed and go smoke a joint. Because I couldn't, I couldn't imagine a day without being high. Now what am I saying to you? Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever, I'm gonna change it, whatever you say yes to. Anything you say yes to over and over and over and over and over gains in power over you. Anything you say no to over and over and over and over and over loses power over you. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Again, a progression. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you're wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. Now you're free from your slavery to sin. Wow, we're free. And you become, whoa, what? Whoa, 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 time out. We're free from our slavery to sin, and now we're slaves, what? Now what is that saying? Do the same thing to build good attributes as you did to build bad ones. You wanna read the word? Read the word. You wanna read the word? Read the word. What do I mean? The more you say yes to it, the easier it gets to say yes to it. And guess what? You can hit a day where you're addicted to God's word. I just don't feel good if I don't read the word. Gosh, what a problem. We need to pray for you. (laughs) You with me? All right, all addictions follow the same cycle. Colleen, you're in trouble now, girl. All right. Here's the simple ones, very sort of low, low frequency, but it helps, it helps you see a little bit. Trigger, response, reward. That's, what, that's how they all work. All right, here's Colleen and I on a date. We go on dates quite frequently, wherever she wants to go. Walking away from her. <laughs> we're, we're, we parked in the, in the Queen Street parking garage. 
because I like to go to Pugin's porch. So we, we're, we're in there, and we're, we're, we've left the parking garage, and we're about halfway across the street to Pugin's porch. And, and what does she say? Did you lock the car? What do I do? I kind of just tighten up for two reasons. One, she does it every time. <laughs> Did he just say she does it every time? I'm telling you, she does it every time. At the beach, at home, everywhere. And I just kind of tighten up. For, I told you two reasons. That's one. The second one is, I don't know if I did or not. Because <laughs> I don't remember. I didn't even think about it. So here's her little thing. I didn't hear the, I didn't hear the beep. So I'll just go, beep, hear it. Now, what is she getting? She's getting a payoff. Ah, I can check that off and relax. My wife's a, a list person. So, ah, I can check that off. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Her trigger, her reward becomes my trigger. Because now I'm bummed out. Because now I'm like, you don't trust me. You think I'm irresponsible and incompetent. Right? Lady? No. <laughs> I withdraw and punish her for being controlling and judgmental. I just kind of power up. You ain't going to do this to me, girl. And then guess what? My reward becomes her trigger. <clears throat> Remember that dessert I was planning? It ain't going to happen. And I don't mean at the restaurant. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Why? Because she just can't control herself. No, I'm not, I'm ki I'm not kidding. All right, now, here's where it gets interesting. <laughs> Did Colleen consciously choose to say that? Did she walk from the car toward Kruger's Port Porch thinking, I better ask him if he locked the car because he bet he didn't lock the car. He never locks the car. <clears throat> I can't trust him for anything. I, did, was she thinking that? Not one bit. Not one bit. All she had, listen to this word, so we're going to see it again in a second. All she had was a craving to check a box. She had a craving to check a box. Boy, I'd like to blow up that box. <laughs> Does she believe what I said? Does she believe this? Y'all ever seen this together out in the foyer? Trust me, she don't believe that. Colleen believes I'm the finest man walking the planet. And if you tell her otherwise, you'd be lying. So what I'm saying is both of us had things triggered that quite honestly tied back to our Goliath, our giant. What in the world's going on here? Too many fingers. There you go. All right, this is all in your notes, so get some of this down. It's really, really, really important. The cycle meets a need, serves a purpose, or we wouldn't repeat it. If you didn't get something from it, you wouldn't do it again. It scratches some itch, or you just would not repeat it. Over time, the cycle becomes hardwired into our brain through reward and repetition. Over time, Colleen feels a little anxious, has her little list, checks things off. Ah, she feels, so over time, she develops this, this, this addiction Trigger anxiousness, I need to check something off. Ah, nothing real crazy about it until it starts getting 
whatever. Now, I want to use a more serious cycle. This one's a little bit more serious. So, this is food. We're going to talk about food. Need, desire, distress. Now, that can be high intense, low intense, whatever. The need can simply be, I'm hungry. But it could also be, I, I, I desire something I can't currently have. It might be, I'm experiencing emotional distress. In other words, we feel a need for something. What we often do is medicate by eating foods that make us feel temporarily better. Don't have time to go into all the different endorphins and dopamine and all this kind of stuff, but the reality of it is your brain is wired to love anticipation. It loves to be excited about something that's about to happen. You know, Sam comes in at 11 o'clock on Monday and says, hey, you wanna go to lunch? Automatically, I start anticipating what I might wanna eat for lunch. Guess what? Endorphins start flowing. I start feeling better. I'm like, wow, this is a good day. All that changed is I start thinking about what I'm gonna eat. You follow me? I'm medicating myself. So what ends up happening is my brain state becomes dependent on my eating routines and rituals. Here's how I really discovered this for myself. First time my wife and I, I don't know if it was the first time, but one of the first times my wife and I ever got serious about losing weight, I got depressed. Not clinically, but just depressed. And you know what I realized? I was messing with my cycle because I didn't have this anymore. Now when I felt this, oh, 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 we're gonna have a, what do they call? Smoothie? <laughs> oh, uh, oh, wow, we're gonna have a salad? But, oh, but you could put meat on it. Really? And I found that I was, I was messing with my, my stuff, you see what I'm saying? I mean, this is a big deal. So my brain actually got to where it would trigger me, and here's where it gets interesting. Remember, the reward, beco reward, this becomes the new trigger. So now what happens, big word, is cravings. You know, you we all develop cravings, usually for food that's fat, salty, sweet. And what happens is the brain gets to the place where it craves that. Now, I wish I could tell you there's, a, oh, I got an easy answer. No, that one's gonna be tricky. Because it's in your, remember the power within me? Forgive me for this, but it's the truth. You put it there. By repeatedly saying yes to things that didn't want you to be free. It wasn't their objective. And we have a, I won't say disgustingly, but we have a deceptive advertising world that's job is to make you feel like no matter what you have and do, it's not enough. And you're not eating, wearing, and doing the right things, and so you always feel kind of dissatisfied. What you're gonna have to do is develop and practice. Say develop and practice. Is this spelled F-U-N? You're gonna have to develop and practice routines and rituals that break the cycle of craving certain foods. 
What's that gonna get you eventually? Experience feelings of pleasure and satisfaction rooted in healthier brain dynamics. You can literally rewire your brain, but I'm not gonna lie to you. That's not a weekend job. That's gonna take a while, but you'll be freer than you've ever felt in your life. Big secret, your problem's not your problem, your solution to your problem is. Colleen's problem was, I wanna feel secure. Her solution to her problem was, did you lock the car? Now, did you lock the car really make her more secure? I mean, honestly. So if she really wants to break that cycle, and again, it's a pretty simple cycle, she's gotta figure out how to get behind the trigger to what's really driving it in its fear, worry, and all that kind of thing. All right, what drives all addictive cycles? Using the wrong person or thing to meet a right need. Using a wrong person or thing to meet a right need. I need love, I don't know how to give love, don't know how to get love, don't know how to experience love in a consistently rewarding way. So as a young man, I learned how to turn to pornography and other behaviors that accompany it. And momentarily, I would feel the same chemicals, some of them, that you would feel if you were in love. So growing up, 13, 14, 15, 16, you develop this, this scenario of addiction that when I feel the need for love, I turn toward either pornography in its accompanying behavior or toward a woman. And all I really want is sex and the game of it all. Why? Because it's as close as I know to get to the feeling of love. Is it wrong for me to want and need love? No, but I was using the wrong thing to meet a right need. Say yes if I'm making sense. It's a really, really important piece of the puzzle. All right, Goliath must fall is the name of the series. I'm telling you this morning, Goliath will fall. Now, maybe not easy, but he will. Important verse, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What does before me mean? What's another way to say that? in front of me, right? So here's the deal. It isn't that you can't use other things to help get your needs met. What God's simply saying is, and look at your notes. I, we're gonna hit this other scripture first, but I'll come back to it. Here's what, he, here's what he's saying. I want you to learn to look to me, God, first and most, first and most, first and most, first and most for everything you need. Learn to look to God first and most for everything you need. Let's just stay there while we're here. Lower your God threshold. What does that mean? You ever heard somebody say this? Well, we've tried everything else. Maybe we should pray. Now, what that means is your God threshold's way up here. You don't bother God till you've tried everything else you know to do. What I'm saying is lower it to where you ask God how to hold a fork. You're not serious. Maybe. What I mean is it's an attitude. God, I can't do anything without your help. Lord, help me love my wife. Lord, help me drive my car today. Boy, he'd love to do that. Lord, help me, help me regulate the way I eat. How many of you know you don't jump to there? Start way down here. Lord, help me pick what to wear today. Some of you didn't do that today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing. 
<laughs> All right, let me go back to this other verse. Bear. <laughs> Sorry about that. I can't help it. All right. Keep on, this is Matthew 7. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking. Keep on, keep on, keep on. Here's the deal. What if you made asking an addiction? In other words, it's something you did so often it became programmed. What if you made seeking and it, it fall into this cycle? When you hit a challenge, you immediately go into asking. You immediately go into seeking. You immediately go into knocking. And you, you want them to become a habit. This is back under the other one. I forgot this one. All addictive cycles start with idolatry, putting other people or things before or in front of God. All right, seek. There's hidden benefit. There's a benefit buried in your addictive cycle. Number one, non-judgmentally step back and look at your everyday addiction. Why do I say non-judgmentally? Because here's the deal. Judging yourself and or judging others doesn't help anybody. Say yes if you agree. Who in this room struggles with at least one more thing God needs to help you deal with? One, at least one more thing. Raise your hands high. All right, look around the room. You see anybody in a spot to do any judging? <laughs> Let him who has no sin cast the first stone. I should have had a bunch of stones up here. I'd have hurt you people. <laughs> Here's the deal, man. Stop judging yourself. You didn't, you didn't wake up one day 20 years ago and say, gee, I think I'll become an addict of sugar, an addict of this or that or the other. You said yes to some stuff, didn't realize what was happening, and next thing you know, you wake up, and you can't hardly say no. All right. Seek. Non-judgmentally step back. Identify the need or fear behind the trigger. Identify the need or fear behind the trigger. Be willing to slow down and think about why does this stuff trigger me like it does. The third one, knock. Don't give up until the doorway to freedom has opened for you. I don't care if it's just a crack. Don't give up till the doorway to freedom has opened for you. Reach out for whatever help is needed. Find your me too people. Adam Martin said this in a sermon gosh, I don't know, a year or more ago, and I loved it. And that's when you're in a small group and somebody shares a struggle they're having and then the person across the room, as this person, very sh sh scared, shamed, shares this thing they're wrestling with and this person across the room says, me too, I struggle with that too. Find people that struggle with what you struggle with and learn to walk with them. Quick thought to throw in there, the power of your giant, the power of your giant's cut in half when you bring it into the light of grace and truth. The power of your giant's cut in half when you bring it into the light of grace and truth. Last statement, and then a scripture. What am I doing? There you go. Shazam. Give yourself grace while you rewire what's been hardwired. Give yourself grace. How many of you know you don't make a decision to change today and you're done by dinner? Say yes if you agree. But how many of you know it might take a while? Doesn't mean you're not trying. Doesn't mean you're not putting in effort. Last thought. 
Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you. Let's read this together. For God, read it with me. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let me pray for you and then we'll do response time. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you for these wonderful folks. Thank you for their openness, their hunger, their desire. And Lord, I pray that you're going to individually, personally, give them insight and revelation into the areas where they're, they're, they're being triggered into behaviors and responses that are unhelpful and non-productive. And I ask you to be with them in a supernatural way. In Jesus' name, amen.